0: everyone. I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we're going to be talking about the case of Joanne Dennehy. So Joanne Dennehy, wow, where do I begin? So Joanne Dennehy is often referred to as the most dangerous woman in the UK, which is a pretty significant and big label in itself. She is a female serial killer, which is obviously pretty rare. Now I have been doing true crime for over two years at this point and Joanne Dennehy is still the only female serial killer that I have covered. And I'm not talking about where there has been a woman, a part of a couple, for example, like Myra Hindley or Rose West. I'm not talking about those, even though I haven't done those cases yet. But Joanne Dennehy acted alone and she is a serial killer. That is so incredibly rare. But not just that, she is also one of only three women to get a full life sentence in the UK. And the other two women that have a full life sentence are... Myra Hindley and Rose West, which is just crazy that she's in that very exclusive club of full life sentences for women. And speaking of Rose West, there was actually an altercation between Joanne Dennehy and Rose West in prison, where Joanne threatened to kill Rose. And Rose was so scared for her life that she had to move prisons to get away from Joanne, which is just so ironic, isn't it, that Rose West is now scared for her life after what she's done. But anyway, today we're going to be looking at exactly what Joanne did, and find out why she has the label of the UK's most dangerous woman. So let's jump in. The majority of today's case takes place in the city of Peterborough, and this case is sometimes known as the Peterborough Ditch Murders, um, because most of it happens in Peterborough. However, Joanne wasn't born in Peterborough. She was actually born in Harpenden, Hertfordshire. She was born on the 29th of August, which means she was a Virgo, and she grew up just with her mother and father, Kevin and Kathleen, and her sister, Maria. And she had, from what I could find out, just a typical happy childhood. She really got on with her parents. She was really close to them. She was really close with her sister. They were best friends. She got really good grades in school. And she just looks like such a sweet girl. (laughs) You would not think she would turn out to be the UK's most dangerous woman. Also, does anyone else think she looks like Matilda? And then suddenly, very abruptly, everything just changed. Joanna's whole behavior, her personality, just changed. It was like a light switch, just overnight changed. Now, I know you're probably thinking, did something happen to make this behavior change? And I honestly don't know. I tried to find out. I did a lot of research, but I couldn't find anything that actually said that something happened to make her personality change overnight. After finding out what happened in the case, I can't help think that something did happen. Um, I don't know. I couldn't find anything out, but We'll revisit that anyway later on in the case. So yeah, her personality completely changed overnight. She started drinking lots. She started taking drugs. She started to turn up to school drunk high. Sometimes she wouldn't even turn up to school. She fell into the wrong crowd. She was making friends with the wrong people. Her parents did not approve at all. They tried to get her back onto the right path, but they couldn't. They did everything that they possibly could. And she was just described by people from her school as just a typical bully. You know the type. And then at age 13, yeah, she was like 13 when all of this started happening. She was really, really young. So when she was 13, she started a relationship with an 18 year old. Um, I don't think it was a serious relationship, but nevertheless, she started a relationship with an 18 year old. Uh, I know five years is not the biggest difference when you're an adult, but (laughs) 13 and 18. No. Joanne had just really gone off the rails. There was just so many arguments at home between her and her parents. They just really clashed because her parents just wanted the best for her, and Joanne was just making all of the wrong choices in life. And this is just a constant cycle for a couple of years because she was 13 at that point, but now she's 15 and she hasn't changed at all. And she meets a new guy, John Trina, who is 20. And she's 15 at the time. So yeah, she seems to have a thing. For uh, older men, Um, yeah, (laughs) make of that of what you will. And I know what you're thinking. He's 20, she's 15. That relationship, I know the other one was illegal as well, but I don't know how serious that relationship got, but this one was a serious relationship. She's 15, he's 20. This is illegal. However, John has since stated that their relationship never became sexual until she was 16, which is the age of consent in the UK. And at the age of 16, she ran away from home with John. And then at 17, she did fall pregnant. I know her behavior, her drinking, her drug taking, her reckless behavior is not ideal (laughs) to say the least when you're pregnant. However, by some kind of miracle, her personality changed again. She stopped drinking. She stopped taking all drugs. She made all of the right decisions, did everything that she could to protect her child, which was so out of the blue for her. If you think about what her previous behavior was like. However, as soon, and I mean as soon, no waiting around. As soon as the baby was born, she reverted back to what she was like before, drinking lots, taking lots of drugs. And she was just very cold towards her child as well. She didn't bond with her child at all, there was like no connection there. And her behavior became more and more erratic as time went on. She was drinking more, taking heavier drugs. She was cheating on John repeatedly. And then Joanne did fall pregnant again with John's child. And John feared the worst because her behavior was very erratic. It had gotten worse from the previous pregnancy, like before the previous pregnancy. And he was thinking, oh my God, like why is she gonna be like with this pregnancy? however again her behavior completely changed she stopped drinking stopped taking drugs she did everything again like the first pregnancy to protect her child and then after the birth you guessed it she went back to her old behavior and john was really trying to make this relationship work he really wanted like joanne to be the mother that like he had in his head he wanted this little family however one day joanne returned home drunk as usual And she was acting more even more erratic than normal and she pulls out a six inch dagger from her thigh high boots like you honestly can't make this up it's like a film or something and she starts waving this knife all over the place and starts saying i want to kill someone and this was breaking point for john i mean her behavior had been very toxic volatile before but she had never done this she had never started waving knives around And saying that she wanted to kill someone. So this was the breaking point for John. And he took, at that time, his two daughters and left and never returned. And Joanne actually never saw her daughters again after this point. And considering what's coming, I think that's for the best. So after John leaves Joanne, she is now 27. And her behavior, if even possible, gets even worse. Her drinking increases. She starts taking more drugs, heavier drugs, and she needs to fund this somehow. So she turns to prostitution, she starts stealing things, she turns to very petty crime to fund her habits. And it's just not long until all of this behavior finally lands her in prison. And interestingly, when Joanne is in prison, she receives her first mental health assessment and she is diagnosed with an antisocial behavior disorder. So not long after she leaves prison, she heads to Peterborough where she meets 48-year-old Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee owned a property letting business. He basically let out properties and he let out a lot of his properties to ex-criminals when they had been released from prison. Obviously, Joanne goes to Kevin Uh, in hopes that she will find somewhere to live because she doesn't have anywhere to live. When she first meets Kevin, she immediately introduces herself by telling a lie. She tells him that she has been released from prison after serving 13 years for murdering her father because he abused her from the age of five. Um, Yeah, that's quite a story you're telling there, Joanne. Joanne is known for lying, um, so this may be a lie. I mean, obviously it was a lie she didn't murder her father, but I'm just talking about the abuse part. I... Cannot confirm or deny, I don't know. But um, the father has denied this allegation profusely. And for some strange reason, Kevin took a liking to her. He even had a little crush on her. Yeah, because that is the best pickup line. I've murdered my father. (laughs) I don't know, maybe he has daddy issues as well. And uh, they bonded over daddy issues. I don't know. I don't know why he took a liking to her. But Kevin decides, um, because he has a little crush on her, to not only allow her to live in one of his properties, but to do it rent-free. All she had to do in return, and I don't really know what you want to call her, like I don't know what you want to call her job title, but she was basically his uh, security detail, um, his like unofficial bailiff. Basically, she would go around and intimidate all of his tenants if they hadn't paid their rent. That is basically what she did. And to help Joanne with this, Joanne recruits one of her friends who is known as Gary Stretch. Now he is huge. I'm talking huge. Um, He had just been released from prison at this time, and just a little fun fact, if you will, he was the tallest prisoner in the UK, so he was huge. He was seven foot three. Joanne is in her absolute element right now. She's just gone back to being that school bully, hasn't she? Just going around bullying people, demanding money, just throwing around her power that she thinks she has, but obviously she did kind of have a bit of power, but oh god, people like that. So a few months after Joanne starts working, if you will, for Kevin, it's now March 2013 and she is 30 years old right now. She meets a man called Lukasz Slabijewski who is 31 years old and was originally from Poland and he moved to the UK and he was just minding his own business. He was out shopping in Peterborough just on a normal day. He was very happy and out of the blue a woman approaches him and starts flirting with him. you guessed it, Joanne. And I don't know how, but she manages to win Lukash over as well. She leaves with his number and just a few hours later they're texting each other, they're getting a little bit flirty, they're sexting a bit, you know, and Lukash completely falls for Joanne. There's even messages on his phone where he said to his friend that he had gone an English girlfriend. Life was beautiful. He just, oh God, he just didn't have a clue. And obviously why would he? But it just breaks my heart knowing what Joanne is going to do. But so on March 19th, the day after Joanne and Lukash meet, Joanne starts texting him again, starts sending very sexual messages again. And she asks him to come over and she sends him the address of just this like empty house where people had just moved out. And because she's the security detail, she was going around inspecting. Uh, So she just texted him this empty house address and said, come over, meet me. And when Lukash arrives, I think we can assume what he thought was going to happen. However, Joanne had completely different plans. They go into the kitchen and she just springs on him. She stabs him once. It was in the heart and it proved to be fatal. And it was a complete surprise attack. Lukash didn't even see it coming. There was absolutely nothing nothing he could have done. Joanne didn't exactly think this through. I don't think she thinks a lot of things through to be honest. didn't have a plan or anything so she just had a dead body in this kitchen and she just didn't know what to do. So who does she call? Her equally scary friend Gary Stretch. And together they came up with the amazing plan of putting the body in a wheelie bin outside of the property. And the murder just didn't seem to faze Joanne at all. She actually was acting like she was proud of it, like she was bragging about it. Like there was this incident where a 14-year-old girl was just passing outside of the property, and Joanne decides, you know what, I'm going to show this 14-year-old the dead body because I'm so proud of it. And she shows the 14-year-old girl the body. Can you imagine the trauma of being 14, of being any age, and being shown a dead body? I don't know who that girl is, but I hope she's okay. Lukashi's body was in this wheelie bin for two days. Gary and Joanne figured they needed to move this body eventually. So they went out and bought a car. So they transferred Lukash's body from the wheelie bin into a ditch just on the outskirts of Peterborough. And Gary says, no one will ever find this body here. This is a good place. Oh, Gary, I'll tell you now, it wasn't. So Joanne, unfortunately, now has the taste for murder. She wants to do more. She felt like she'd gotten away with it um, because at that time she had. She thrived on that, which was very, very unfortunate for... John Chapman, who was a 56 year old widow. He had previously worked for the Royal Navy, um, but he just kind of fell on hard times and he lived with Joanne. Um, he rented a room in the same house that she was living in. And 10 days after the murder of Lupash, she decided that she wanted to kill John Chapman as well. I think they'd had a little altercation, like a little argument, uh, nothing that crazy. But yeah, there was a little like argument, I think the night before, and she was just like, you know what, I'm not having this. And yeah, decided to murder him in the early hours of the morning while he was sleeping. The autopsy showed that he was stabbed a total number of five times in the heart, which did prove fatal. And she stabbed him with so much force that the knife actually went through his breastbone. So later on that morning, because it was the early hours in the morning that she killed John Chapman because he was sleeping. So later on, like that morning, she called Gary Stretch to help her out because he had helped her out in the last one. She phoned Gary up and channeled her inner Brittany, said, oops, I did it again. I'm not lying here. And of course, because Gary was obsessed with her, He agreed. He was like, okay, I'll be right over. Now, just like John Chapman, there was another man renting a room in this house and his name was Leslie Layton. And he was another low level criminal and he was friends with both Gary and Joanne. I just want to point out, he was in the house at the time of this murder; Like he was just asleep in the next room. Um, Joanne really just didn't care about what she did and who found out. Um, But when Leslie Layton woke up the next morning, Joanne and Gary showed him the body showed him that Joanne had murdered their roommate. And instead of being horrified like any normal person, he decides to take out his phone and take a picture of the body. I literally have no words for the kind of person that does that. Who does that? Literally, who does that? Um, He did delete the photo because he thought that, oh, I'll delete it. No one will be able to see it. And police were able to recover that photo in the forensic search on his phone later on. So Leslie is asked by Joanne and Gary to help out moving the body. And I don't know if Leslie was obsessed with Joanne, But I feel like I'm just gonna assume that he was because it does seem like every single man that Joanne comes in contact with becomes obsessed with her. So I'm just gonna assume that Leslie is also obsessed with Joanne. So of course he agrees. However, all three of them kind of figure out that there's another problem that they need to deal with. And that is Kevin Lee, who is the landlord. That Kevin will find out, which he probably will, he will find out that two people have been murdered on his properties. So, all three of them decide that they need to do something about that. So, Kevin was more than just a landlord to Joanne. I think we've probably all figured that out anyway. He wasn't just her landlord, he was also her lover. They were having an affair for quite a while, and Joanne used this to her advantage to lure. Kevin over. Not that it matters how she lured him over. The way she did it, I just uh, found extremely disturbing. She said to him that she wants to rape him in a dress. Um, I don't even know. I, and Kevin found this very arousing. But when Kevin arrives, Joanne convinces him to put on one of her black dresses. And Kevin obviously thinks that something else is going to happen. But As we know, Joanne had other plans for Kevin, and this is when she brutally murdered Kevin Lee. The autopsy showed that he was the first victim to put up a fight because there were self-defense wounds on his hands. And she had stabbed him a total of five times in the chest, which did prove to be fatal. So now Joanne, Gary, and Leslie, I'm sorry if this story is confusing. There are so many names that get thrown into this story. So Joanne, Gary, and Leslie now need to move the body of John Chapman and Kevin Lee. Yes, this all happened on the same day. John Chapman's body was still in the property when Kevin came over. Obviously he didn't know that, but wow, Joanne has been busy. So the three of them decide to hide John Chapman's body in the same ditch that they placed Lukash's body. Um, But they decided to put Kevin Lee in a different ditch. They decided to put him in a ditch 10 miles away. Um, I don't know why a different ditch. I don't know, but they did. And that is why if you haven't figured it out yet, why this case is also known as the Peterborough Ditch Murders. They also needed to destroy Kevin's car because he arrived in his car to the house and they didn't want to just leave his car outside the property because that would raise alarm. So they took his car to a nearby farm and decided to burn it. Because that's not inconspicuous. I don't know why they decided to burn out the car. I mean, I understand why they decided to burn out the car. I just don't understand why they took it to a nearby farm as if it wasn't going to get found. And the police did, in the car the very next day. It was actually Kevin Lee's wife that alerted the police first and let them know that her husband had gone missing. So then after they found the car, they found the car first. It was just a random person that was just walking. I think they were walking their dog, not quite sure, but they were just walking and they came across Kevin's body in this ditch later on the same day that the car was found. Kevin's body wasn't hidden very well at all. Like even though it was in this ditch, it was just out in the open. Anyone could have stumbled across it. So, you know, I said, I don't know why they took the car to a nearby farm. Like obviously it was going to get found. I don't think they cared. And Kevin's body was left in a horrible, degrading, humiliating way. The dress had been pulled up to expose him from the waist down and it was very clear that the body had been sexually assaulted with an object after death. That takes a sick individual. It really does. The police naturally go to Kevin's phone to look for clues and they see the texts from Joanne on Kevin's phone. So She immediately becomes a person of interest. They go to the property, Joanne's property that she lived, and they find a blood-soaked mattress, which they immediately think this has got to be Kevin's blood, but no. Found out after testing the mattress that that blood belonged to John Chapman, who Coincidentally, the police also figured out, oh, he's missing as well. So now police think that Joanne could have possibly murdered two people. They put out descriptions of them to police nationwide and they're pretty distinctive in their appearance. Joanne has a very distinctive star tattoo on her face and Gary stretch is obviously very, very tall. it's not too long after they release their images that a police officer recognizes both of them from a local petrol station that he was attending because this petrol station had just been robbed. Two guesses as to who did that robbery. The police now have the registration of the car that Gary and Joanna are traveling in and they were able to track the car with road cameras which is pretty extensive in the UK. They find that they were recently traveling down a motorway and that they stopped at a service station because they had been caught on CCTV And they look so relaxed. So they are on the run, even though I don't really think they care. They're not taking this seriously at all. I mean, they stop at a friend's flat on the way and take um, some very weird pictures. Um, I'm just gonna say that some very weird pictures and also some scary ones as well. They decide that they're gonna need some money. If they're gonna be on the run, they're gonna need some money. And Joanne decides uh, that she wants to be Bonnie and Clyde. They break into some houses, they steal items, and then they go and visit Gary's friend Mark Lloyd because they need to turn these stolen items into cash quick. And Mark Lloyd, according to Gary, can help with this. And Mark wasn't keen on helping them. Like, he, he didn't want to help them at all. And in true Joanne fashion, she threatens him. She pulls out her knife and says, I've just killed three people. You're going to help us. And now, scared for his life, Mark agrees to help them. So Mark gets in the car. They drive off. And Mark has since reported that he could not believe how just relaxed joanne and gary but particularly joanne he could not get over how relaxed and calm she was it's like she just wanted to have fun it's like she was on a road trip like she was taking selfies and there's a little incident where they stop off at a services and there's footage of them stopping to buy cigarettes and you can see joanne and mark on this cctv footage and from the cctv footage it just kind of looks like i don't know like normal people buying things from a shop. Um, however, when you actually know what was going on, it's a lot more sinister than what it looks. Joanne had a knife in her pocket and was threatening Mark. She was whispering in his ear. And then she just turns around and starts flirting with the cashier. She knows how to flip on that charm, doesn't she, Joanne? It's just so very weird. Joanne flirts with everyone. But when they get back in the car after buying the cigarettes, Joanne turns to Gary and says, I want to murder someone. Find me someone with a dog. Just so blasé about the whole situation. Just like a throwaway comment. So of course Gary complies because he does everything that Joanne says. And he finds a dog walker just on the side of the street. And he's like, will that one do? And Joanne's like, yeah, that one will do. I want that one. He pulls over and Joanne gets out and attacks 63-year-old Robin. She attacks him from behind, stabbing him twice in the shoulder. Now Robin did survive this attack, thankfully, and he has said that he didn't realize he was being stabbed at the time, he just felt like someone was punching him really hard, like at first he didn't realize that he was being attacked, and he turned around, saw Joanne, and he fought back, he kicked out at her, and yeah, he just got away, he managed to get away, and luckily for Robin, Joanne didn't pursue him, because Gary had pulled up in the car and just said, Joanne, get in the car. And I don't know what happened to the dog because obviously he was walking a dog. I don't know what happened to the dog. I know that's what you're all thinking. I couldn't find out. But the fact that I couldn't find out anything that happened to the dog, I am going to say that the dog was okay. I feel like the dog just ran off with its owner when the owner ran off. And amazingly, Robin is able to stagger home and call an ambulance for himself. And if the paramedics didn't act quick enough, he would have died from his injuries because blood had started to pull internally. Jumping back to the car now, like Joanne has just got back into the car with Gary, she gets back into the car with Gary, kisses him on the cheek, and says, thank you. Thank you. She also says she wants to do more. Mark is just sat in the back of this car. He can't believe what is going on, and you know what, Mark? Neither can I. Wow. So they drive off, um, and Joanne is very clear of who she wants to murder. She says that she does not want to kill any women, especially with children. She wants to kill a man and she wants to kill a man with a dog. I don't know what the situation is with the dog, I don't know, um, but that, that that's clearly her thing. And I feel like the fact that she's so adamant about killing a man um, means something. Um, that's just my opinion. After driving around for nine minutes looking for someone with a dog, they do come across someone called John Rogers and Joanne jumps out of the car, and attacks him. And this attack is way more brutal. She starts stabbing him in the back and and then moves to start stabbing him in his front. She stabbed him a total of 30 times. These crimes, these attacks are escalating. It's like she's constantly trying to chase that high. She then took the dog, Yeah, she took the dog in this one. And I know what you're all thinking, but the dog was okay in this situation. I did find out what happened to the dog. The dog was completely fine. She did not harm that dog at all. And John managed to crawl a hundred yards where he passed a woman who was able to call an ambulance. And miraculously, John, also survived this attack. And I don't know how. It was an absolute miracle that he survived. He suffered deep wounds to his chest, back, and abdominal. He suffered nine fractured ribs. Both of his lungs had collapsed. His bowel was completely torn open and exposed. I don't know how he managed to crawl one yard, let alone a hundred yards. And like I said, it was by some miracle that he did survive this attack. And he was reunited with his dog um, when the police Finally, catch up to Joanne, which is going to happen now. So, just revisiting what I said about the men with dogs, like why was she so adamant about killing men? I just feel like this, I don't want to say proves because it doesn't prove anything, um, but I just feel like it does point towards some sort of abuse happening when she was a teenager, just before her sudden behavior change when she was a young teenager. I just think there's been a few things. The fact that she's so adamant about killing men, the fact that she likes to have power and control over men, the fact that she ran away with older men when she was younger, and I just think as well the fact that she was so adamant about not killing women, especially with children. I think if we just revisit how she was when she was pregnant, she did everything right when she was pregnant. She stopped drinking, she stopped taking drugs, she completely changed her behavior to protect her child, and... This is just my opinion, this is just my analysis, but it seems like she wants to protect children in a strange way because maybe she didn't feel protected when she was a child. I don't know, I'm no expert. I do have a degree in criminology, but that definitely doesn't make me an expert and all of this is just my opinion and none of that has been proven, but I just thought it was interesting. Um. So after the attacks on Robin and John, Joanne still wants more. She still wants to kill more people. However, thankfully at this point the police have have managed to catch up with her, surround the car, and they do arrest her. Again, once Joanne is arrested, she starts bloody flying with everyone again. I don't know what is with Joanne, and when she's at the police station, she's laughing, she's joking around with the police officers. And we are Joanne, Christina, Dunahan. This is amazing. Looks good. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, you're so good. Yeah. Real sexy. I love you like Thanks. There are just so many examples throughout this whole story that she's been able to charm men left, right and centre and I don't get it. So during the investigation, the interviews and all stuff like that, the police are expecting Joanne to spill her guts basically because from her personality, she likes to brag about her crimes. She's very proud of them. She shouts them from the rooftop. However, she says absolutely nothing, changes up her behavior once again, becomes a mute. However, this doesn't matter. The police have so much evidence against her and they have found the other two bodies in Peterborough, the bodies of John Chapman and Lukasz Slabijewski. With the three murders, the two stabbings, uh, yeah, they have enough evidence. They don't really need her to talk, but they were just expecting her to. Mark Lloyd, do you remember Mark, the one that was riding in the back of the car against his will? Uh, He cooperated fully with the police and he was not charged with anything because the police did believe that he was completely innocent and was in that car against his will. However, Joanne was found guilty of all offenses and was sentenced to a complete life sentence. And like I said in the beginning of the video, she is only one of three women in the UK to have received that sentence. And the other two women... Myra Hinley and Rose West. Gary Stretch and Leslie Layton were also prosecuted. Gary Stretch was sentenced to life with a minimum of 19 years before parole and Leslie Layton was sentenced to 14 years. Now there is actually a debate on whether Joanne is classed as a serial killer or a spree killer because she technically doesn't really fit into either category um, because a serial killer is defined as someone who kills at least three people, which obviously Joanne did. However, the these murders normally take place over a period of at least a month, and there is normally significant downtime in between each murders. Now, Joanne doesn't fit this because from the first murder of Lukash and the day that she was arrested was ten days. However, a spree killer normally kills in a shorter period of ten days, uh, so Joanne kind of fits in the middle. So there is a bit of a debate whether she's classed as a serial killer or as a spree killer. So. um Yeah, she's a serial spree killer. When Joanne was in prison, she was unsurprisingly diagnosed as being a psychopath. And she did tell psychiatrists that she had been sexually abused when she was a child. And just from what has happened in this case, I do feel like that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not trying to make Joanne Dennehy a victim here at all, I'm really not. I think it just kind of helps make certain things make a little bit more sense. And I think it just helps us understand Joanne Dennehy's mind a little bit more. So you probably think that this story ends there, but this is Joanne Dennehy, the most dangerous woman in the UK. There are still more crazy things that happened when she went to prison. She first got caught planning an escape from prison. She had planned to kill the guard, cut off the guard's finger, and then use that finger to unlock the biometric lock. Um, Yeah, it sounds completely far-fetched, wow, but scarily believable in the case of Joanne Dennehy. She then, as we know, decided to pick a fight with Rose West. I don't really know why she picked a fight with Rose West, but I think she had an issue with Rose West um, because Joanne Dennehy wanted to be the top dog in the prison system, I don't know, um, because Myra Hindley had died back in 2002. So at this point when Joanne was uh, in prison, Rose West was the only other contender for top dog, if you will. Back in 2019, Joanne was transferred to the same high security prison that Rose West was in. Rose West is currently 65 at this point. And like I said, I think Joanne wanted to be top dog. I think she saw this as her opportunity to prove that she was top dog, um, because from her past behavior, from her characteristics, we know that she likes to be in charge. She likes to be in control. She likes to throw around her power. And she threatened to kill Rose West. And the prison took the threat on Rose West's life so seriously. I mean, to be honest, I don't blame them if this is Joanne Dennehy that we're talking about. They took the threat so seriously that they moved Rose from this prison for Rose West's own safety. Words I thought would never come out of my mouth. And apparently Rose West was devastated about this because she'd been at this prison for 10 years at this point. And she was so devastated. She was crying that she had to leave this prison. And the reason why she was so devastated about leaving this prison is because she enjoyed baking cakes. (laughs) Um, And the new prison that she was being transferred to didn't have the facilities or something for her to bake cakes. Um, Wow, now that right there is a sad story. Poor Rose West. So yeah, that was the case of Joanne Dennehy, the UK's most dangerous woman. And I think uh, from that story, we can all completely understand why she's been given that title. Um, Congratulations, Joanne Dennehy. You have proven yourself to be the top dog. Well done and that brings us to the end of this episode thank you so much everyone for listening today subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of the criminal makeup and if you enjoy the show it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review in the meantime if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources special thanks to my producers at audio boom studios and i'll see you all in the next one